All right, good morning, everybody. Oh, they're still getting coffee. We could have three services, I guess. Hey, right? I guess I'm kind of rushing it. I usually give them more time. I guess I am. I was kind of excited. Yesterday was so really great. And so I'm kind of excited to get to this teaching, but it's all right. I know you are. I'm glad you are. You got a big day coming up in two weeks. You don't remember? In two weeks. What's coming up in two weeks for you? Yeah, well, we do. You'll be surprised. When you get a certain age, you get surprised at a lot of stuff, I guess. <laughs> well, good morning again. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapters 12 and 13 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 12 and 13. To say that this weekend at Breaking Chains was great is an understatement. It was amazing to turn out. We'd always love to have a million people there, but I think it was three times what we had last year. It was amazing. The place that, that, they, that we kind of got used or pushed into is perfect for Breaking Chains. It's neutral. Everybody feels comfortable coming there. Kids played all day long outside in the sun. Parents forgot they had kids. It was awesome. I love my kids, but it's great when they're having so much fun and it's safe and they're all playing with each other and they come back every once in a while, I need a hot dog or something to drink. Boom, and then they're off again playing outside all day long. Uh, the music and the worship was fantastic. Um, it just was a really good, excellent weekend. So I was, and, and uh, I think I got a little nap in too on one of the blankets while I was there. So I think I nodded off once. It was great. All the help, the artists that came. I, one, one gal drove from Arkansas uh, you know, for, for, a, for a six song set and then went home, you know, just amazing uh, sacrifice on their part. I mean, they got compensated a little bit, but not near, not nearly what they probably should or deserve. And uh, it was just a great time. And all the people that helped in the background and, and did all the, the sound and the, and the cabling and, and, and the food, and it's just amazing. So really great time. Okay. Um, let's get into the word. Let's get into the word. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Remember, this is the second law. Moses is going through the law for a second time to let this next generation know that he's with them. Not just with his parents or with their parents, but he's with them. And, uh, and so Moses is relating everything that they've probably learned from their parents somewhat, but God wants, or God wants to make sure that they hear it from his mouth specifically. And so um, he's been going through that. Now, 12 and 13 are interesting. One's about the, the, where you're supposed to worship, and the other one's about false teaching. And he's, uh, he's going to try to straighten some things out here. So let's get into it. Verse 1, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy um, their altars, break their sacred pillars, 
and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. It would be very hard to have a coexist sticker on the back of your chariot back then, I'm pretty sure. The world is teaching us, or trying to teach us Christians, that we ought to just let things go and let people be and not evangelize and not talk about Jesus Christ as being the only God, as serving the Father in heaven as the only one, the living Father, the living God, um, moving us into a direction of just, you know, keep to yourself, keep your mouth quiet, let everybody do what feels good to them. And God's not into that at all. He's not concerned about culture. He's not concerned about artwork. He's not concerned about the things that we've been told we're supposed to be concerned about. Look what he tells them to do. I want you to utterly destroy the places. I want you to tear down their temples. And every place, they used to, every green tree under which they used to do these abominable things. And then I want you to go to their statuettes and all these things that they've built and made in honor of these other little G's out there, these small gods, these that aren't gods, but they call them gods. He says, I want them utterly destroyed. I want you to take down their sacred pillars. I want you to destroy their altars, their wooden images, and burn them. I want them completely gone. Um, God is serious about us knowing who he is and who he's not. That's almost just as important to know who he is not nowadays. Um, You know, you can say the name of Jesus. You can even say God, and you, you need to have people clarify what they mean by that. What do you mean, Jesus? Which Jesus? Which Jesus are you talking about? Which God? Well, they're all, it's, all, it's all one God. We all worship the same God. No, no, we really, really don't. We really don't. And God knows that and gives this commandment to them. Now, he's not doing it because he doesn't want competition. He doesn't want competition, but he's not doing that for his sake. He's doing it for our sake. And he'll get to that here in a minute. Some of the things that these other gods would call them to do, these worshipers to do, to serve them, were unbelievable. It starts off small. Anytime you get off of the living God, away from Jesus Christ, and you begin to worship in a different manner, a different way, it starts off small, a little bit harmful to you, maybe a little controlling, maybe a little legalistic, maybe, but it doesn't stop there. It completely and continually progresses towards the most heinous acts that we can perform against another human being. It absolutely destroys us, and God knows that because he knows the God of all those other gods is little Satan. His creation that's been in rebellion against him is trying to woo everybody to worship him. It doesn't matter whether they know it's him, red horns and pointy little tail, or it could look like her or it or whatever. As long as they're not worshiping the true and living God, it gives us a bunch of different options out there. And God knows that. He says, I want them all erased. It's one God, one place of worship, one way of worship. And I want you to know that. And so he tries to encourage them in that. Watch that. In John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, Jesus said to her, beautiful conversation at the well, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Uh, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I I preface this next section with that because he's going to talk about there's one place to worship God. And the reason he's telling the Jews there's one place to worship God is because he wants them all focused on the same thing. He doesn't want variations throughout the nation of 
of Israel. They're going to come into the promised land. They're going to divide up in their different parts of the country. He doesn't want them staying in their own locations. He wants them to be a one, one people. And so I'm going to pick one place where I want you to come and worship, and that's why he's doing it at this time. Now, I read that next section to you. Jesus said, look, the time is coming when we're all going to be filled with the Spirit, and we can worship God continually, always, because we're always with him, and he's always with us. There isn't one location. But at this time, the location is essential to get their minds out of Egypt. Remember, this is a group that's been in slavery for 400 years. They have no idea how to worship one God, especially the true and living God. They're used to all these different gods to choose from. They've lived in Egypt for generations. And so God says, no, no, okay, we need to erase that. It's like boot camp for worship. And we're going to go to one place, and we're going to all do the same thing. And you're going to come together, and you're always going to be brothers and sisters. You're always going to be family. And you're always going to worship one father, me. Okay, and so that's what he's doing here. So let's get into it. Verse 5, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, uh, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bibles or not. I do. I write. Did I do that? I'm sorry. Um, I write in my Bible. Circle that word rejoice if you write in your Bible. That's a command from God to rejoice. Okay, he's going to do that a couple times here, but he does that throughout Scripture, but this is the first time we see it here. I want you to rejoice, okay? And we'll get to that in a minute here. But I want you to go to one place. Uh, I want you to serve me here, and I want you to take all of your things that have to do with me, the worship of me, and I want you to do it in this one location. This is my spot. This is my place. It's my time. It's where I want to be worshipped, and it's where I want to meet you, okay? Um, and so I want you to do all of that here. You shall not all, or, I'm sorry, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to say, well, this is how I worship, and this is how I worship. No, 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 no. Um, and we've talked about this before several times. When you're married to your wife or you're married to your husband, you don't get to do what you think they want you to do for the anniversary or for a birthday or something. You want to find out what's a blessing to them. What do you want to do? Honey, I know uh, that I love to hunt, so we're going to go hunting for deer, honey. Wouldn't that be great on our anniversary? Well, not a real blessing necessarily, unless she likes to hunt you know, or fish or whatever. That's fine. But our God is our spouse. No matter how you look at it, that's what he calls himself. He's our spouse. And so when he says, here's how I want to be worshipped, I don't get to look at him and say, yeah, yeah, I know that's how you like it, but this is how I like it. That's offensive to him. I want you to worship me this way. And he's also doing it for our protection. This is a safe way to worship me. This is okay. I don't want you to get some crazy idea to offer up your kids as a sacrifice to me like they do over there. Because I don't like that, nor is it pleasing to me, and it's destructive to you. So I want you to worship me in spirit and truth just like I prescribed, because it's safe and it's what I love, God would say. Okay? So he's called him to that. Don't do like we're doing today, every man doing what's right in his own eyes. In fact, later on in Jewish history, in Israel's history, in Judges chapter 17, 6, Judges is a hard book to read. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Then they return and they repent. You know, what's the other way around? I guess they do evil inside the Lord. They return and they repent. And it's just this constant up and down cycle with them. And God keeps bringing judges into them. But Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was wrong. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes was wrong. And even though we're in the New Testament now, we're in the new covenant with Jesus Christ, there's a way to, and a prescribed way to worship him. It doesn't matter what style of music. It was great. Uh, um, had a great conversation with a brother um, back behind the food. Um, and he said to me, because uh, last, last night or Friday night we had um, um, Sean, Sean Locke and, and I don't know the rapper's name. What was his name? Say it louder. I'm deaf. Cannon. Cannon. Great. That's a great name. Um, and we had, and, and, and those guys slowed it down a little bit and explained um, you know, about Jesus and what they were saying, because it's very poetic. Their rap is very poetic. And so even when they're going slow, you're like, you're following their train of thought, and their thought, and talking about Jesus and all that. Anyway, uh, and then we had Bread for War last night, which is a screamo band. I don't know if you know what that's like. I'd give you an example right now, but I probably wouldn't go well over here. Um, and I, that's my, I prefer that. That's, I, I, when I took JC on his 14-year-old trip and we went to the big concert and they had the three stages, I liked the third stage where that was going on and the big mosh pit was going and the guys were dancing like this and they're throwing their arms. I was like, they were loving Jesus. Here's the point of this. <laughs> is there a point? There is a point. Hold on. Back behind the booth or behind the food there, a brother who's been helping out, he looked at me and goes, it was really good for me to hear the rapper and to hear, to hear Bread of War. It was really good for me. I said, oh, yeah, well, good. I know, I enjoyed it too. He goes, no. He goes, I just, I needed to hear him talk about Jesus. I look at them in a whole new light now. It's a whole new perspective on them. I'm like, we need that a lot around here. Um, it doesn't have to be your preference. It doesn't have to be what you like or what you would purchase at Walmart or wherever you buy your, wor you know, your worship music, but you do have to honor God's variety. You do have to respect all that God is doing everywhere all the time because God loves them, and God loves it and the way it's ministering to people, and he's using it. And so it was really cool to see him say, I really need to honestly say that. I really need to hear those guys talk about Jesus because now I look at him in a whole different way, you know. Yes, you know. You know, we talk about people getting saved at these concerts. There's a whole lot more going on than, and, and I'm not saying just getting saved, but there's a whole lot of things happening in people's hearts when we do these uh, music things. A lot of things are, God is working on a lot of fronts there. That was so great to hear. Doing everything that's right in your own eyes is one thing, but doing it for Jesus Christ is different. In other words, there can be variety in the way we worship and, and all that, but you can't go beyond what's written. We've got to stay within the bounds of God's scripture. He says, this is what I like. Now, I want you to offer up these sacrifices. I want you to do it this way and that way. I want you to praise God. But you know, some, a lot of people don't have a five-minute break in between worship and, and teaching because they think that breaks the spirit or the word. I don't, I don't think it does, but they do, and it, they're not used to that. What do you mean a five-minute break? Well, we kind of go long here sometimes, and it's kind of hard to not go to the bathroom, and you need to get going. And so that five-minute break gives everybody a chance to get what they need to do and sit down for this very long teaching today. There's varieties in that stuff, but here's what needs to be done. We need to worship God. We need to love him with all our heart. Um, the teaching of God's word, I think, is essential. We need to sing songs to him because he's prescribed that. These are important things, you know. But how we do that or the order and all that doesn't matter. Every man's doing what's right in their own eyes, and they were going way beyond order and, uh, and, and, and things. They, they, were, they were 
they were just worshiping God flat out the way they wanted to, not the way he prescribed. For as yet, you have not come to the rest. Uh, there's a rest for them in this new land. Uh, and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithe, your heave offering of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And he said that before, but this is where you do that. And, here's it again, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, and the Levite who is within your gate, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes." He put that in there to let them know later on. I mean, if you pick a location, it's going to land in somebody's area. Hey, how come Judah gets it? You know, he understood that there was, that was, was going to be an issue. You know, uh, Dan's up, going to be up there going, how come we can't have, you know, here? Because it's in the middle. Dan, you're way up north. We had to put it in the middle. So God puts that in here ahead of time to warn him. And we're going to pick one tribe and put it there. That's okay. It's just my idea. He throws it in there. God's very careful to watch out and see ahead of time what our problems are going to be with it. But in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. One of those commands was to rejoice. They're commanded to rejoice. Now, here's what he doesn't mean, and I want to, we've got to be careful here. Come on, everybody, rejoice! 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 That, oh, now we're in fear, rejoicing, yes, God, just praise God. No, it's a, it's a test for us, I believe. I think it's a litmus test for me. Why am I not rejoicing in God? It's a, it's a thing. If I can't rejoice in the Lord, what's wrong with my walk with God? Because there should be nothing but rejoicing in what Christ has done for us and what he's, he's amazing. The salvation he's brought us, the gifts he's given us, the beautiful life, all of it that he's given us. And he's like, you guys need to rejoice. Now, here's what happens to us. And he understands us. And Nehemiah understood us, too. And it's in chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. And we're going through that today. We really like Nehemiah 8, because that's what we do here. So they read distinctly from the book, in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That's the hope here, and that's what we want to do. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And that's to be expected. We hear God's word. We're convicted. We know anytime you read God's word, you see the distance between you and Christ and the perfection of him and the holiness of him. And you, you start to see yourself. And it's hard not to go, ooh, you know. It's like looking in the mirror this morning. You're like, oh, you know, it's going to be another hour, I think, to get this prepared kind of thing. You see your condition. And so you begin to weep. Well, hopefully you don't weep on Sundays, but they did. They heard the word of the God and they weep. And he stopped and he goes, no, we're not reading this so that you weep. Weeping's fine. I mean, I understand that you feel that way about it, but we're going to do something about it, first of all, God's word is informative. It doesn't just say, aren't you a worthless slob? Remember that. No. 
here's what you look like. It's a mirror. He tells us that. It's a mirror to look at. But then he says, now, now let's do something about this because it's fixable, okay? And so he tells him that you're not supposed to mourn and weep for all the people wept when they heard the words. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those of, for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. That's the key. We could read the same passage of Scripture, but without understanding, we're either going to mourn or we're going to rejoice. We need God's understanding, God's perspective on it so that we can rejoice. God tells us these things in His Word because He loves us. The whole thing, when we put up there, the joy of the Lord is my strength, I hope we understand what we're saying. God is joyful over you. The joy of the Lord over you is your strength. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He understands you can't walk, run, or do whatever that you'd like to do for Him, in Him, but He wants to get you to that place. He's a loving Father that doesn't want to see you stumble and fall continually and isn't mad at you when you do. He here, he's here to pick you up and help you. And he wanted these folks back then in Nehemiah 8 says, no, we haven't read this to you to make you feel worthless. We want you to know the God of heaven thinks this way about you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now get up and rejoice and have a celebration. It's like Christmas. They describe Christmas, have a big feast with all your family, then send gifts to everybody who doesn't have what you have and be generous and, and rejoice in what God has done. He, he doesn't love our sin. I know that. He hates our sin. But he doesn't leave us because of our sin. He wants to help us out of our sin, breaking chains. He wants to get us freed. The joy of the Lord, how God feels about me, is my strength. That's why I get up. That's why I'm able to sit up here. I'm not worthy to teach God's word. We all know that by now. You know, I mean, amen, preach. I know, none of us are. But I'm here preparing a study this morning and reading it to you this morning and teaching you, hopefully, explaining the word of God, because God loves me, and he has joy over me, and is doing a work in me, and I have confidence in him. Not in myself, but in him. And so he tells him that in verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you, I want you to all rejoice in me. I want the kids to enjoy worshiping me. That's our, that's our focus around here. I mean, some people focus on missions. We try to once in a while. We get out of missions or we support missions. We do our best. Um, evangelism, great. I'm not a strong evangelist. I like to teach God's word. That's what he's called me to do. I'm a pastor teacher, but I'll do the work of an evangelist, but nobody raises their hand when I do it. That's okay. But boy, when it comes to kids, I was building the, uh, I, I got this, you get, you get these things that God puts in your heart to do, you know? And he says, I want you to build this uh, little obstacle course out there for the kids. I want you to build a balance beam obstacle course. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I said, okay. So I went to the store and I said, give me this, bring this. I brought it out there and I start working on this thing. And I just had a ball last week making this thing. Just had a ball. I, I was at home, you know? And then on Wednesday, that's all I cared about. I love you guys, and I wanted to teach God's Word, but I wanted to look out that window and see if the kids were using it, you know? Are they enjoying it? 
Is God's backyard getting bigger and better, you know, for these kids? Do they love church? I, I, I don't see kids crying like they used to when they left church. We need to make it better for them so they hate going home. God wants the kids to rejoice in worship of him, not to be bored or scared or fearful or quiet or sitting or whatever. No, uh, he wants them to rejoice. And he calls us to that. He commands us to do that. I love that. I'm thankful for that. Anyway, take heed to yourself. In other words, watch out that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all of them that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike, only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain, or your new wine, or your oil, of the firstborn of your herd, or your flock, or any of your offerings which you vow, of your freewill offerings, of your heave offerings of your hand, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your sons and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Now he throws that out there because they're gonna. They forget the Levites. Remember, the Levites don't get a piece of the property. They kind of live amongst everybody because God wants them spread out so they can be the priests for everybody. Okay, now they call to come to Jerusalem eventually you know, a couple times a year. But for the most part, they're spread out to here. And, to, to, and they had the cities and they had some lands that they could use. But for the most part, they were supposed to be taken care of by the people. Don't forget to do that, by the way. He put that in there several times, and they do forget to do that. They do forget to do that. Um, anyway, verse 20. When the Lord your God enlarges your borders as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much as your heart desires. Yeah, all right, you know. <laughs> um, don't worry about that stuff. I want you to go ahead and sacrifice and eat the meat. That's okay. Now, the blood's still going to be an issue. I still want you to pour that on the ground, but barbecue all you want um, at home. Uh, you don't have to come all the way to Jerusalem to kill meat. Um, um, you can do that. You can do that there. If the place uh, where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just, like, uh, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. Uh, the unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, that you may not eat the life um, with the meat. Uh, you shall not eat when you... Uh, sorry, better move a little closer. I'm getting blinder, more blind. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it. Okay. Got that? <laughs> so those of you like rare... No, I'm kidding. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can, eat, you can eat rare. It's all drained out beforehand. But uh, You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and your children after you uh, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You don't want to miss that. When it goes well for you and your children. It, it wasn't going well for the children, guys. When they move into this place, this new promised land, the children did not have a happy childhood because they didn't know what their crazy mom and dad were going to do the next day. 
They had some bizarre customs when they would worship their gods. These kids didn't know whether they were going to live the next day or not. And God knows that, and he was tired of it and sick of it. We don't deal with that, obviously. I mean, there's abuse and all things that go on inside of homes that we don't see and all that. And a lot of kids live in that fear. Don't misunderstand me. But this is in the worship of God that they were doing these things. And so God says, I want you to do what's right according to my will because it's going to be good for you and your kids. I don't want this as a culture. I don't want this. It's not me. It's not what I command. It's not what I desire. And so don't miss that. What I do is great for me. But it's also really good for my kids. I need to consider that. What is my next generation? The ones following me, the ones watching me, what are they going to learn from me? Um, I just loved, I love watching my kids serve God. I love seeing them serving the Lord. Um, that's a blessing. I don't, I'm not saying they all have to be pastors and they all have to, but they, they, they need to be involved in their church and doing things. I think they need to be serving God. Um, and I, I, so far we've been blessed, you know, We've had a lot of, we've had two weddings now, and we've got uh, two brand new, beautiful daughter-in-laws, you know, and, and they love serving God too, and that's a blessing. It's going to be good, not only for me to see that, that's a blessing because they've learned that from Jenny and I, but now their kids are going to learn that from them, and it goes, and generation after generation, this beautiful walk with the Lord, and, and God knows that. Do what's right before me because it's not only good for you, but it's good for your kids, um, I love that you guys take your kids with you, you know, when you guys go. That's really important to see that. Obviously, you know that. I've been preaching to the choir here. They see the fruit of it, I'm sure. Um, and, and I'm sure it's hard, you know. I'm sure. <laughs> I imagine, you know. Um, but they're, what they're gaining from this is so much greater than what the world might think they've lost, you know, or whatever. It's so important. Um, anyway, all right. You shall not eat it. Okay, we did that. Uh, Anybody know where I am? Only the holy things. Yeah, I think so. Verse 26. Only the holy things which you have uh, and your vowed offerings, you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses, and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Okay, very important. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and he is going to cut them off, it's a fact, not if, but when he does this, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow, up, to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. Don't do that, God says. Don't look at them and say, oh, that's kind of cool how they do that. That's really neat. Um, we should do that. We could incorporate that into our worship, couldn't we? No, God says. Don't do that. Don't look. I'm getting rid of them for a reason. I don't like any of it. I want, what I've told you is what I've told you. That's what I want to be done. But don't adapt all these other things into it. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way forever. Uh, for every abomination to the Lord which uh, he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Don't even think like that. Don't even go down that road, even if it's a small thing. Oh, I like the little bell thing that they do at the end. The little bell thing. We should do that in our service. A little bell thing. I don't want the bell thing, God says. 
Because the bell thing leads to the gong thing, and the gong thing leads to whatever, and pretty soon you're going to be offering your kids up on the altar. We don't think that way when we start down that road. Well, no, I'd never do that. It's incremental. It's bit by bit. Satan erodes our true walk with Jesus Christ and changes it into something completely other than what's been prescribed. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, kids are, oh, it's morning. I don't know if he's going to pick me or you, you know. Who's going to get offered up today? It's a Hansel and Gretel scary nightmare thing, you know. No, God says, don't do that. Don't even think like that. Why do we think like that? Because that's the question. What makes us go that, down that road? What makes us want to add to the worship of God? Because we're not, first of all, we don't have the heart and the mind that God wants us to have. Here's what I mean. If we're doing everything God tells us to do, I'll have peace in my heart. He promises me that. There's going to be peace when I'm worshiping God in spirit and truth. I'll have peace. When I'm not doing what God's prescribed in the Bible, because for some other reason I think, well, I don't have time for that, or I don't want to do that, or that's a little too much for me. I mean, quiet time every morning. I mean, uh, you know, worshiping on Sundays and Wednesdays, that's a little much for me. It's a little going too far. We get these attitudes, and then we can't figure out why we don't have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Why don't I have that peace in my mind? Well, you know, those that say namaste, well, they have more peace. So we just move into the yoga thing a little bit. Just add a little, little Hindu into our life. The yoga thing can't hurt. A little stretching, you know? A little namaste here and a namaste there. You know what namaste means? The good in me sees the good in you. And Jesus said there's no one good but God, so let's translate. The God in me sees the God in you. Hello? Red flags need to be going off. But why do we go after that stuff? Why do we incorporate that in? Why don't I not have, why do I need that because I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I'm not fulfilling everything he's ever said. I've, I've, I'm picking and choosing now because I don't have peace. I want to have peace, so I'm going to try this over here and bring yoga in, and I'm going to maybe try some, some of this meditation and maybe a crystal or a horoscope, and all of a sudden you find yourself doing stuff you never thought you'd do. If we just do what God's word says, you'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll have, under, you'll, 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 you'll have the will of God known. He says, I want you to know me. He's, not a, he's a mystery. He likes us to dig. He, he hides things, but he, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. He likes to do but we're, it's still findable. He wants a little more on our part. Be careful. We don't think this applies maybe today, but it sure does. We, we start adding from these other worships, and all of a sudden we've got, well, the, there's a little bit of good in every religion. No. No, that's what we're warned against. We're warned against that. Verse 32, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. It's complete, in other words. It's absolutely complete what he's given them. Now, I've got some time. All right. Um, Here he warns us about false prophets here in chapter 13. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. In other words, he does a miracle. He does something supernatural. And the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods. It's a good warning for us. So he does a miracle. He does an actual sign or wonder. This prophet, this whoever, actually does something supernatural. Heals somebody who knows what it is. And then says after that, saying, okay, now that you understand where I'm from, let's go worship other gods. Here's what God says. To go, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. 
For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. I mean, he just did a miracle. He just did a sign or wonder, which tells me where I put, if I'm going to prioritize things, signs and wonders over God's word. Never put it over God's word. God's word is, he's magnified above his name, he says. I've magnified my word above my name. Um, it's important. Uh, and so when there's a sign or wonder, what he's telling us is even Satan can do signs and wonders. That's not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's not the evidence of God. The evidence of God is obedient to his word. Now, signs and wonders are true, and God's people oftentimes are given that ability to do that by him. But the proof as to where that gift or where that sign or wonder originated is whether that's in compliance with God's word or not. That's how we test all things and hold true. Is it according to God's word? And so God even warns him there. If he does a sign or wonder and then tells you to go after other gods other than me, kill him. <laughs> okay, wow. Because miracles can be done by anything supernatural or spiritual. Anything, you know, we're, we're in a battle. Remember we talked about that last week? We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. That's not the evidence. And he knows that. I'm, I'm watching you. I want you to see this. And a couple of scriptures here. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel, he's uh, Paul writing to the Galatians, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of uh, Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, people, were an angel from heaven, we don't care where they come from. Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. Now, they don't kill people in the New Testament. We don't have to go out and kill prophets anymore. Um, but they did back then. I mean, some, you're going to see it gets worse than just killing the one prophet. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. I don't think Paul could have put it any stronger back then. That's what he wanted everybody to know. You can't fall for that. Don't fall for that other gospel. There's one gospel. There's one good news. Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, died on the cross for my sins, and because of that and me believing in that, I go to heaven. It's a very simple gospel, and we're to believe that. Now, if you add to that or take away from that or diminish it in any way, be careful. That's, that's another gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They can look and smell the part, in other words. I don't know, he had a collar on, he looked like a priest. I don't know. doesn't matter what you look like. What does he say? And does it line up with God's word? If it contradicts God's word, you toss it. It's very simple. And you toss them. Well, not literally. Well, you could toss them literally, maybe. It depends on how mad you were. But Watch out for that stuff. It's a warning. It's a warning for us. And so he tells them that. Be careful. Uh, be careful. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. And keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. 
But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. It's enticing. I want to live my life in such a way as I walk with Jesus Christ that I'm not easily enticed. I'm satisfied in him. I'm complete in him. I understand that. I know what he says. I know how he feels about me. I know how I feel about him. I've worked out my salvation. I'm not enticed easily. Oh, did you read that new book? I don't have time. Oh, but it's a really good book. I, I'm sure it is. I just don't have time to read it. I've got a book, and I can barely get through it as it is. You know, And it's perfect. And I never have to worry about what I'm reading. I never have to bounce it off anybody or compare it to anything. I just read it and it's pure, and it's perfect, and I get everything I need every time I read it. It's like, it's awesome. So no, I haven't read that new book. And I'm not saying there aren't other books out there that you should read. Of course, I just don't have time for that. And, and he protects us here, you know, and he interprets itself. I don't need an interpreter. God's word interprets itself. If you read here and you read all the way from cover to cover, he'll explain everything to you. I don't know what that means. Keep reading. Oh, there it is, and he explains it over here. That's what this means. That's what this means. There's no, uh, that's your interpretation of the Bible. No such thing. There's God's interpretation of the Bible. He interprets itself. It it, it always protects itself. It's just a fantastic, amazing, supernatural book um, that he's put together here. So read it, you know, and and believe it and study it and and know it, and it'll protect you from the dreamer of dreams, (laughs) the false prophets that are out there. Anyway, you take them out. You remove all those false prophets and keep that evil from your midst. If your brother, he's moving on from the false prophet, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you saying, let us go and worship and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. Yikes. You think he's serious about this? If your wife leans over to you in bed and says, I've been thinking. Oh, you know. I wish you hadn't said that back then. I mean, bye. It's infectious. It infects your family. It infects your mind. It infects your heart. And God knows that. And it'll affect the people around you. And it'll spread and spread and spread and continue. And he knows that. He says, wipe out that cancer. Remove it from your midst so that you don't have that. Because that's how it starts. It starts as a small foothold in your heart. I was reading this book and I just kind of thought, you know, Does it line up with God's word? No, I know not exactly, but I just kind of thought, wouldn't that be neat? I kind of like the idea. I felt comfortable with it. Doesn't matter. Is it contrary to God's word? Does it change things? You know, Um, throw it out. Now, we don't go ahead. You can't kill your wife. You can't kill your kids and you can't kill your friends. You can't, you don't get to kill the false prophet anymore. We don't do that anymore. I tell you this, we do wipe out everything in our lives that will distract us from the true worship of God and, I, it, and wipe it out with extreme prejudice in your life. Nothing wrong with that. 
I don't know, we're getting funny ideas from this TV show we're watching, then cut it off. I don't know, I, I, I've been reading this website, and this website's, I mean, it's mostly good, but for the, you know, sometimes they throw in some weird stuff, then get rid of it. You don't need it. We've got everything that's perfect here. In other words, the false prophets that show up, just get rid of them in your life. Not physically, but just get rid of them. Um, squash those ideas, those thoughts that are pulling you away from the true worship of God. Um, and believe me, I've, you know, I've lived long enough with the Lord that there is a lot of enticing things out there. I'm not ignorant to that. Um, there's a lot of things that people send you in the mail, especially to churches. Hey, try this and do this and that thing. Like, well, it would probably work. It would work. We'd probably triple in size if I did that. It doesn't matter. It's not what God's called us to do. It's not what he's asked me to do, you know. Um, and it's kind of worldly, and it kind of takes on the things of the world. And so you pick up on that stuff, and you bounce it off God's Word, and God's Word says, no, we don't do that. We walk by spirit. We don't walk by our own strength. We trust God. We trust in chariots. And then you bounce it, and you, so you toss it in the trash. That's what you do with those mailers and those things. Get rid of them. Um, be amazed how easy it is to keep a purified walk with the Lord, a pure worship of God when you remove the impurities. I mean, that sounds obvious, you know, but we hold on to these impurities in our lives and we can't figure out why our walk isn't better. Why am I walking closer to the Lord? I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 10 years now. I should be here and I'm not. Why not? I don't know. Look through your video closet or your whatever it is. <laughs> it's a streaming now. What have you been looking at? What have you been watching? What's, is there hindrances? Remove that. Kill them with extreme prejudice. Get rid of that distraction. So, anyway, after he tells them to kill their wife and their friends that are false prophets, um, and you shall stone them with stones until he dies because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as, as this among you. He knows where it's headed. One person may die here, but it's going to save thousands later on from dying. And it's going to save your eternal walk, your eternal life. He knows that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or actually chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you're still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, I read that because that we have the problem with that in the church. We have groups that, you know, why don't we follow after this person or after that person? And they seem to have our best interest at heart. God is always trying to build us up as a body. Anytime... Someone whispers to you, and I'll try to, try to bring it into 2018. We don't necessarily have a false prophet standing on the street corner, although occasionally. But you do have people that say, come follow our denomination. Or come follow me, JD. I have all the answers for you. you know, Kool-Aid will be distributed shortly here. You know, if they're calling you to follow after a person or a group and not Jesus Christ gone. They're gone. And, and I've said this repeatedly too, and our board knows this. If I start teaching weird stuff, you know, I won't know it. 
I'll think it's normal. And I can't figure out why the rest of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'll start to, and they're, 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 they pick me up by my arms and they throw me out either one of these doors is what they're called to do. Because I've been a wacko preacher. I've turned into a wacko preacher. Don't let anybody lure you after themselves or after a group. We are made disciples of Christ. We follow Jesus. We worship Jesus. You know, as soon as someone, as soon as someone gets saved and they're, they're a disciple of the Lord, they're following God. And God will take them and put them right where he needs to do and he will teach them and his Holy Spirit is with them and he will make his word alive to them. It's amazing what God does and can do. And I say that because we witness to people and we like to share Christ with people and we should. But remember, you don't own them. Just because you led them to the Lord doesn't make them yours. You've brought them to Jesus. You've introduced them to Jesus. They now have a relationship with Jesus. Let them have that relationship with Jesus. If they have questions, of course, we're available for them. But we have to be careful about this mentoring thing. We have to be careful about this discipling thing. I'm not, they're not my disciple. They're disciples of Christ. I'll help them follow him, but I don't want them coming to me for all the answers. Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I marry this girl? Should I marry this guy? Dude, you need to pray. I have no idea. You need to talk to your God, your Father, your Savior, your Jesus, your salvation, your gospel, you know. It's you. Talk to him. It's a personal relationship. Got to be careful about that. We don't own these people. We let them follow the Lord. Verse 12, if you hear someone in one of your cities, so he's getting bigger, starts off with close, just a false prophet out there, or maybe it's your wife or your kids or someone or a friend. But now if you hear someone of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and search out and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain, uh, and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword, and you shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. Man. That smoking heap over there was, you know, Bobtown or whatever you want to call it, you know. Is Bobtown going to rebuild? There's nobody left to rebuild it. What happened at Bobtown? Well, Bobtown decided to follow after another God, and God's kind of serious about this stuff. Boy, we just have to get his heart on this, is what I'm saying. And I think that's why we read the Old Testament, because we don't burn Bobtowns anymore and kill everything in it. But we certainly want to take it as seriously as God takes it seriously. That's how much he hates the worship of other gods. That's how much he knows how damaging that is to us and how harmful that is to us, because he loves us. Anybody that's ever had a kid knows that. When you see something that can harm your child, mama bear comes out, doesn't it? You know, papa bear, I guess, in my case. But boy, you get protective of those kids and you get away from me. You know, I was afraid of snakes, but when I see a snake coming after my kid, grab it by the tail and I'm whacking its head on the ground. You know, all of a sudden, instinct kicks in. That's your father's heart for you. Oh, wow, that was pretty violent, mom. That snake was going to bite you. And I know what would happen if it bit you. And that's why I looked like I did. I know it was a little scary for you to see mom freak out like that, but I knew what was going to happen. 
And so when we see God and we read God do stuff like this, it kind of, even as us, we're like, really? We're going to kill all the animals too? I mean, gee whiz, God. No, it's instinct. It's built in. This is going to harm you. This is going to hurt you. I'm, I'm stopping it right now. I don't want to see this happen. I waited 400 years for these people to repent in the land that I'm causing them to get evicted from. And they never repented, and it got worse and worse and worse until they were offering up their kids on fire to other gods. Never again. You can see where he comes from. No more. We all got saved out of the world, hopefully. Maybe you haven't been saved. Maybe you'll get saved this morning. But we've been pulled out of Egypt. Don't forget what you've been pulled out of. I don't want us to dwell on our sins and all that, but I don't forget how destructive that life was and why you bowed the knee to your Savior Jesus Christ, what he delivered you from. And certainly don't begin to invite those things back into our homes and into our lives again so that our kids can have to struggle with the same things we struggled with. As a parent, I want to have the heart of a father on these things. And it may look a little weird to the kids at times that I'm so strict, but there's a reason for it. It's because I love you, and I don't want you to be harmed by the things I was harmed by. All right, we'll finish up. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your land, none of them, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show mercy, show you mercy, have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. In other words, I'm doing it for your good. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eye of the Lord your God. I'm going to run through these scriptures and we're done. You don't even have to turn there. Edifying. He calls us to edify each other. I want you to see how many times he says it in the scriptures and then we'll go. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Romans 15.2, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. 1 Corinthians 14.3-4, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church, builds it up. 1 Corinthians 14.26, How then is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.8, For even if I should boast somewhat more about the authority which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Ephesians 4, 16, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what... Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. I said all those things because God is clearly getting a point across to us that the things he is removing from the nation of Israel destroy them and the things he's asked them to do edifies them, builds them up. He's called us to edify each other and I want you to know that if you know anything this morning about your Father in heaven, he's trying to build you up. He wants to build us up as a body. He wants to build you up as a person. And he's called us to these things to be built up, to be stronger, not to be weakened, okay? That's where we close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. 
We thank you that you warn us and that you want us to tear away and remove everything, Lord, that's not of you. Everything that's going to distract us from you, God. Help us to have the same kind of heart towards it as you do. We want your heart on these matters. And we also want to be overjoyed in our walk with you. And Lord, if we're not overjoyed, show us what are we doing wrong. Because to be with you is to be rejoicing, is to exceedingly rejoice, Lord, because of all that you've done for us. Help us to truly know you, to understand you and your heart for us. Lord, for those here this morning that don't know you, that got introduced to you this morning, that felt that tug on their heart by your Holy Spirit, and they feel that your word is right, and what they've been doing is wrong, they felt some conviction from your word, Lord, help them to know that all they have to do is turn to you today. They just have to turn away from their sin and towards you. That's repentance. And so God, this morning, um, hear their prayer. And you can pray with me if you want to. Jesus, thank you that you've given me your word, that you've died on the cross for my sins, that you paid the price for everything I've ever done wrong in the past and everything I ever will do wrong in the future. You've paid for those. And I thank you for that, God. Lord, I want to turn my life over to you. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my life. I want to do the right thing. I want to remove those things that are tearing me down and destroying me and those around me. And I want to adopt those things that you've called me to do to edify and to build me up and those around me. So God, I give you my life today and I thank you that I have salvation in you and in your name, Jesus. Amen.